Hello, Mike here. Today's guest is the wonderful film and TV producer, Ed Guiney. In the episode, we discuss how he got his start in the business and stories of younger days in Dublin with director Lenny Abrahamson, how to find fellow filmmakers, tips for getting noticed and film and TV jobs, and how no matter where you start, the most important thing in this world is having something to say. That's enough from me. Here's Ed. So you don't need a lot of resources. What you do need is something to say. You need someone amongst all of you who's got something interesting to say. Hello and welcome to Red Carpet Rookies. My name is Mike Battle, a film crew member turned screenwriter working in London. Each episode, I bring you life lessons and stories from the people behind your favourite movies and shows to help demystify the business for aspiring filmmakers and fans alike. Thanks for joining me. Let's get started. Today's guest is one of Ireland's most notable film producers. Beginning his life in the Irish capital, he pursued his passion into movie production during his time at Trinity College Dublin, where he set up a film society with a certain Lenny Abrahamson. Today, he and his company Element Pictures have come a long way from those days though, having produced the likes of Yorgos Lanthimos' The Favourite and Lenny's very own movie, Room, both of which our guest picked up Oscar nominations for and a BAFTA win for the favourite. He's also the man behind the international phenomenon of normal people that exploded recent Best Actor nominee Paul Mescal onto our screens. I reached out to him after watching the amazing Calm With Horses that he produced with our mutual friend Kate, and I'm very happy to have him here today. My guest is Mr. Ed Guiney. How are you doing today? Hi, Mike. How are you? Thanks for having me. Thank you for your time. Now, Ed, I like to ask all of my guests the same first question, Mm -hmm. and that is... What did your parents do and did it affect your career choices growing up? Well, actually, my parents were both um, doctors, so I obviously didn't follow in the family footsteps. And I know my interest in film was completely sort of personal. I mean, my my parents took me to the cinema as a kid, but my dad did really like the cinema. but, um, But it was really kind of, I grew up, you know, watching countless sort of videos all through the night and I just sort of fell in love with films and I also fell in love with the idea of producing when I was a teenager. I read a lot of books about producers like, you know, Putnam and Sam Spiegel and Paul Berg and, and all the old kind of the guys who set up the original studios in LA. And I sort of was fascinated by making films, but from that point of view, I suppose, I never wanted to be a director. I always wanted to be a producer. The time that you're talking about there with the Betamax tapes was you and Paul Hickey, I believe. Mm-hmm. That's right. Exactly. Yeah. Were there any movies from back in those days that began to form part of your taste that you have today? I know it was a long time ago. Well, I mean, the thing is we just watched everything. So like we'd watch four or five movies a night. So that was everything from Animal House to Les Enfants de Paradis and back, you know, literally via all the classics, the Coppola's, the Scorsese's, all of that stuff. So everything, we watched everything. Funny enough, we actually share an interest talking about your reading of the Hollywood moguls. When I was studying history at university, I was desperate to get into the film industry and tried to jackknife into wherever I could into my essays. And I wrote one on the early moguls, Carl Lamel and those guys. What was it that you were attracted to in those books as a young guy growing up in Ireland? No, it's a good question. I mean, I definitely started with, you know, loving films and and then I think by reading those books, I could see the possibility of being involved in in the film business. But I think it was, I don't know, I found it quite romantic and exciting. 
and they were all pioneers. You know, a lot of them were kind of you know refugees from from Eastern Europe. Um, but I don't know. They just felt like there was an energy and excitement about it, and I, I, it's really hard to know what what appeals to me about that. I don't don't know. I can only I just was fascinated by them. I have a bunch of books up there on the shelf uh, that I can see. Oh, nice! Yeah, I can see them. I've got um, "You'll Never Eat Lunch" on mine still to read. It's up there too. Yeah. <laughs> oh, nice! They're all there. I wonder if it's in part because the thing that I like about them is they're very entrepreneurial. And obviously you ended up setting up a company and producers are somewhat entrepreneurs in their own little world, aren't they? Each film is its own company. Yeah, no, it is. I mean, I think it's just, I think also I I really like being involved in films, but maybe I had a sixth sense that I wasn't maybe details oriented enough to be a filmmaker. Like, I don't think that I necessarily have the patience to Mm. be as exacting as you need to be as a filmmaker. I don't know. Um, I also just didn't have the desire to direct in that sense. But I do really like the company of film directors and writers and creative people generally. I love being around them and I feel very comfortable in their company. Um, So maybe it was something around that too. That's cool. Did you find any pressure back in those early days when you were wanting to become a filmmaker or get involved in the film industry to pursue a more traditional career? Doctors often want them to join the medical world. Yeah, no, no, I, de- I, I definitely did. But I sort of, I guess, once I went to university, I went to Trinity in Dublin, um, which is the backdrop for normal people many years later. Mm. And I had known Lenny Abrahamson when I was the, as a teenager just around Dublin, and we used to talk about films a lot. And when I went to Trinity, I set up a filmmaking society with Lenny, and we started to make short films. And So, I, I mean, I'm also aware of the kind of, the privilege of that, of being able to do that, you know, not everyone has that access, but we certainly took advantage of the possibilities of, you know, just making things in college. And, and we had a lot of friends who were actors and writers, et cetera. And the first film that the kind of first proper film that we made together was a film called The Three Joes, which starred, uh, among others, it was about, it was a kind of silent film that we made in Lenny's house, but I guess the best known actor in the UK, at least Dominic West, who was a student in Trinity at the same time as us and a friend of ours. So it was just that kind of thing. And I, I suppose it's sort of, that's what I often say to people is, you know, who are interested in getting into film, um, even if they aren't in the, in, you know, in a, an environment like university or third level institution where there's time to kind of experiment. But I think it's trying to gravitate towards like-minded people and even making things on weekends. And, you know, I suppose the thing about nowadays is that it's actually, it is, a lot cheaper to make things. I mean, you can make things on an iPhone and you can edit things on a laptop, but the kind of impulse to make things and to gather people around you is, I guess, the kind of the thing that I learned in university. And I definitely had that kind of drive. Funny enough, you mentioned the collaboration there and finding other people. And in our prep for this chat, Ed, I find myself watching the thrillingly named Ecologies of Cultural Production Workshop Industry Panel which you featured on. And in that, you said to find your fellow travellers, yeah. like you did with Lenny and Michael Joy at university. Mm-hmm. How would you recommend people go about doing that these days, do you think? Because I guess it's probably more internet first these days, surely, since your time at Trinity. So, yeah. Like, I mean, there was, yeah, it was in person. It was in real life in that sense. But I mean, you know, I mean, I imagine if you are somebody who wants to kind of make something, there are all sorts of ways of finding like-minded people online, on whatever, wherever, you know. Um, I can't imagine it's that hard in a way. Like there are always people who want to act and there are people who want to try out different 
things. And like we, you know, honestly, we were utterly clueless, like complete, no one had a clue. <laughs> really, genuinely. I mean, it was really, yeah. So you can just say, well, you know, it's a bit like forming a band. Well, I'll be the bass player. I'll be the, yeah. you know, I'll play the keyboards and I'll be the lead singer. It's kind of like, well, I'll direct you, act, you write, you, you're the camera person and just do it. You know, it's, and, and you really, as I say, you don't need a lot of resources. What you do need is something to say. You need someone amongst all of you who's got something interesting to say. And that's, you know, not always self-evident, but it's, it's really, it's really key. Um, whether that's a writer or a director or a stand-up comedian or whatever, you know, somebody has to have something to kind of try and they want to articulate. So yeah, it's, you know, and then in terms of getting things out there, it's like, again, it's, it's very different nowadays, but obviously YouTube and all of that stuff is there. And, you know, and if you make something that's interesting, whether it's really short form, like on TikTok, Instagram, or something longer form on YouTube, if it's punchy and catchy, people will pick up on it. And then you can use that to create the momentum, maybe to make a short film, et cetera, et cetera. That's kind of how it works. But it, I think in many ways it's, it's very available, you know, and if you look at, you know, people like, you know, very different kind of, well, not, not a million miles away from me, but like say someone like Shane Meadows, you know, who came up um, in the north of England making, you know, very low budget films with Paddy Considine and, you know, his friends. Oh, like Dead Man's Shoes. Yeah. But even before that, you know, they were making you know, like 24 seven and, you know, that was all a bunch of pals who had a desire to make stuff together and who just got it together to do it with the weekends. And, you know, it's, it is all there. Um, I think if you have the desire to do it, then it's about finding other people who share that desire. In a way, maybe that's the first thing you have to do is find those people. But you only need two or three of them. You don't need many of them. Find your fellow travelers. Yeah, exactly. That's a really great answer. Thank you very much, Ed. It's really cool to hear about the modern platforms being used as well. And it's funny to hear you talking about the not really having a clue and you'll be the bass player and things like that, because there's a trend in the very successful people I speak to on this podcast that they all seem to have a similarity and they don't mind a bit of a hustle, but if I fake it till you make it. And it also reminded me a little bit of you, perhaps with Three Joes, where you're of that age and you're going, I'm commissioning a script. Yeah. You know, that's that's a big thing to do, which I imagine later benefited you in many ways. But for a young person to say that, I don't know if I if I was what age were you when you were doing that? I guess I was like around 20. probably. Yeah, I think that's comfort. That's confidence there. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I don't know why, but I guess it was probably all those books I was reading that mm. kind of made me think that's what you had to do. But I did pay Michael West. I think it was before we joined the Euro. So it would have been 100 old Irish pounds, punts they were called, uh, to write the script for three Joes. Yeah, but I, I don't know. It, yeah, but it, there is there's definitely a thing of like you you do have to have the kind of the drive and the just at some level doesn't mean that you need to be a kind of very garrulous you know used car salesman type person. <laughs> you just need to have a certain amount of drive and a little bit of balls. But I mean, I wouldn't say that I'm a kind of you know necessarily a very extrovert, show busy type person. I'm not really. Um, but I think it's just that thing of you know being clear about what you want and just hustling to get it as you say hustle is a big thing definitely how was it that you hustled your way into your early job at strongbow green apple i just wrote to them i was in college and i wrote to them and i i don't know what maybe there weren't that many other people writing to them then i'm not really sure but i got a job from um as a, a runner during the summer and i was kind of an assistant um and i may not have even been paid initially I'm not sure, or if I was, it was very little. 
and it was you know I did it instead of instead of going away, which is what a lot of students do in Ireland at least go away to work. I stayed at home one summer and I did that. Um, and I'm, I mean, I guess I'd have to say like I was in a lucky position where I could afford to do that in a way. Like I, you know, and some people just have to go and earn their fees. So I don't want to kind of presume that everyone can do that. But I was lucky to be able to do it. And I got a job working for actually two guys who, three guys who are very good friends of mine now, all a bit older than me, but um, all of whom were, you know, established producers and who were very good to me and taught me a lot. Um, and yeah, I, I'm in touch with all of them still. Um, and they're all still doing various versions of their thing. But yeah, it's just, it's, and, but I did at that time, I would have written, I think probably I would have written to every possible company in Ireland and just written those letters, you know, and, you know, they, it does work. You know, you just have to persevere. It takes a while sometimes, but it does work, you know. And it's also, I guess it's, you know, there's a, a woman who now works for us in development, a woman called Eliza Fitzgibbon, and she, wrote a letter to us. She was working in London in PR, wrote a letter, very nice letter, very polite letter, which kind of marked her out, just the tone of it and the way that she approached it. And we wrote back saying, look, we don't have anything right now. And then she wrote again three months later or six months later. We still didn't have anything. She wrote again another three or six months later saying, oh, I just noticed you got some money for this film. Do you think you'll be hiring people? And actually, it was just Every time I was like, oh, okay, well, that's interesting. She's, you know, persistent and, yeah. you know, all that kind of stuff. And and it was just a quiet persistence that actually was very, um, and then I met her and maybe we didn't hire her immediately, but liked her. And, and actually it, you know, it turned out ultimately that her dad was, um, is a very well-known television director, Ian Fitzgibbon, who I know, who's a kind of friend of mine, but she never, ever, ever kind of lent on that. That's cool. You know, it was always, yeah, which is, you know, I mean, so she definitely wasn't a Nepo baby in that regard and could have been. <laughs> and But she did quietly and persistently write, you know, very considered note letters that we noticed. And it's really that. It's that it's that kind of having that intelligence and thinking about how you can sort of be a bit more thoughtful and targeted about who you write to so that you get noticed. I love that story. And it's a really good example. We, we don't get as many specific examples. And I really like that people will latch onto that. Um, speaking of you being an intern there and people coming to work with you. Are there any interview type questions that you ever like to ask people that would make you think, oh, that's the sort of person I'd like to work with? It doesn't have to be specific. Mm, it's a good question. It's a really good question. I mean, I, like, it's funny, the ones that kind of do, I don't know, it's sort of, it's people who I think advocate for themselves, but in the right way. And there's a kind of fine line between advocating for yourself and your career and being pushy mm. and actually if you're pushy but really good that's probably okay it's more than okay if you're pushy and entitled that's not okay so if someone is working for us say as in reception or doing kind of a you know fairly a job for someone who's just starting off in the business and they ask to read scripts voluntarily and they turn in script reports and look for guidance and feedback and they do that kind of seriously with an obvious desire to learn that's really impressive it's people who kind of feel like they can run before they can walk and actually they may have a particular judgment but it's sort of say for instance to think or talk about scripts you need to read a load of scripts before you can i think be useful in terms of how you talk about them so it's that thing it's kind of the right kind of self-advocacy advocacy is really important. 
but it's also falling on the right side of it. And I think there's a lot of entitlement around. And I think people, what it is, maybe it's a kind of the celebrity culture we live in at the moment is that people kind of often feel like that they should move quicker than their experience or their abilities might suggest to somebody like me. <laughs> um, a kind of modest, hardworking, considered intelligence is very impressive. Now, Ed, I like to wrap up on Red Carpet Rookies with a little quickfire questionnaire, which is my own ode to In the Actors Studio. Okay. So we're going to go through them, if that's okay with you, Mr. Ed Garney. Mm-hmm. Now, the first one is, what is one of the best pieces of advice you've ever been given? Mm-hmm. Let me come back to that. Sorry, I'll, I'll come back to that. Keep going. I'll come back to that. Don't apologize. Don't you worry. Number two, do you have a favorite film? No, I don't actually. I definitely don't have a favorite film. I have lots of lots and lots of favorite films. And it changes with age and things that I thought were fantastic when I was 20, I think are really pretentious and terrible <laughs> now. But I think that's right, though. I think it's weird to have a favorite film. I think it's really weird to have a favorite film. Yeah. Well, you're changing and the film's not, so... Well, exactly. And some things that like feel, I don't know, if you think of something like reaching way back now, but something like I don't know if you know Betty Blue, which at the time was mind-blowingly cool French movie. I took it out. Probably is fairly cheesy now. I don't know. And also the way that kind of the culture changes and the way that we, you know, the kinds of films you could make that could be made, the kinds of things that they explored and said mm. 10, 20, 30 years ago would not be cool anymore, you know, and not, not acceptable and rightly so in many, many cases, you know. So no, I don't have a favorite one, but I do love watching films. That's a good answer. Number three, which job in the industry would you do if you weren't doing yours? I think I'd be like a commissioning editor or a decision maker in terms of the other side of what I do, like acquiring films or yeah, something like that. Cool. Haven't had that one before. Number three, what gives you a reason to get out of bed every day for a day of producing? I mean, it's mainly the people I work with. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm much more kind of person focused than I am idea focused in a sense like i'm much more interested in what particular people have to say and i don't just mean filmmakers i also mean the people i work with i work with a whole load of very clever very creative people who have a lot to say about the things we work on and about the world in general so i think it's that i really enjoy uh, it's the community of filmmaking is really a lovely place to be an awful lot of the time obviously it has its ups and downs but generally it's a really there's something really nice about it. It's also there's a thing that like, I don't know if you can say this, I don't know if it's actually true, but it's, I think there are very few other industries where you can have so many people from different backgrounds um, with different skills working together on a thing. So you can have a an amazing plasterer or you can have a choreographer or you can have an actor or you can have a caterer or a nurse or a ballet dancer or an electrician or a driver or you know there's a there's a whole bunch of people working in a community to make a film and there's something really nice about that cool uh penultimate one um what is a book ideally career focused but doesn't have to be that everyone should read perhaps maybe one of your ones of the moguls well i mean i did love all those books um i mean i guess my indecision is final which was the story of goldcrest which was the producer of Gandhi and a bunch of other movies at the time is a really good book. But, but like loads of them, I really enjoyed. Um, I also remember particularly enjoying, there was a book about David Putnam, the British producer called Enigma. And he was a total hero of mine when I was growing up. And has since become a good friend of mine, he lives down in West Cork in Ireland. So I'm in touch with him a lot. He's again, you know, he's 30 years older than me, but a really 
not quite 30, that's unfair, 25 probably. <laughs> um, but, uh, but a really still very clever, vital, interesting man. Um, and then a non, non-movie related book that I read recently that I really enjoyed, that was excellent, is a book by a guy called Oliver Berkman called 4,000 Weeks, which is... I love that book. Yeah, do you know it? It's part of the reason I decided to take my writing more seriously because I was doing lots of different things. Okay. And it was like, you're never going to do all the things, Mike. Yeah. Focus. And then on the back of that, everything started to work. Yeah. And, and actually, that sort of maybe goes towards answering the very first question you asked, asked me, which I didn't answer, which is ah, that yeah. question of, you know, the best bit of advice you've got. And it's some version of that really is to, is to understand that you have to make choices about where you put your time and energy. And that goes for you know, the films that you make and the TV that you make as much as what you do in your life, because everything's sort of theoretically possible. And I think also when you grow up as a producer like me, you kind of grew up with an eight kind of FOMO. What I mean by that is like when people come to me and ask me to do things, the fact that I can maybe do it is a reason to say yes. But of course, uh, yeah. you can't do all the things you could possibly do. You have to discriminate and make choices. And that's definitely something I struggle with is is kind of making choices about where I put my energy and focus. But I think it's, if not, you know, if it's not quite advice, it's definitely a good question to ask yourself all the time, which is, you know, is this the right thing to be doing right now? But obviously you, you've had that experience too, and it is a brilliant book. And, you know, um, as a book, it's also a great sort of piece of general advice. Yeah, very thoughtful, very clever. Brilliant. And then my last one for you, Ed, is if you won an Oscar, who would you thank? Oh, my wife and son and the people I made the film with. Thank you. And thank you very much for your time today, Ed, sharing your wisdom. It's been absolutely fantastic. Thanks, Mike. Nice to meet you. Stay in touch and hopefully our paths will cross. But thank you. Thank you for listening to another episode of Red Carpet Rookies. To help us grow and be able to interview more amazing film and TV professionals, please do subscribe and drop us a rating on the Apple Podcast Store on your iPhone or online if you're an Android user. If you're interested in regular updates, the best thing you can do is to join our mailing list at redcarpetrookies.com or alternatively, find us on Instagram at redcarpetrookies or Twitter at rcrookiespod. I also tweet regularly about my own learnings in the business at Mike F. Battle on Twitter, so please do come and say hi. Thank you again for listening. We'll see you next time.